Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23 is where our key text will be today. Before I get into today's message, in the name of God we're going to talk about, I want to tie back into something that ties back to last week's message that just happened this week that is so prevalent to what we've been talking about. This week, um, I got a chance to perform a wedding, and I want to introduce you to our newest newlyweds at Centerpoint. Go ahead and stand up there for a moment if you can, Phyllis and Alan. These are our newest newlyweds. They just got married this past Tuesday. Go ahead and turn around here. This is Alan and Phyllis. Their last name is Cleaver, so we have Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver now as part of our church. All right, and uh, they, I won't tell you their age, but they're in their 70s, and so this week on Tuesday, we performed a wedding, and now they are happily married. Uh, They knew each other in elementary school, and life has redirected them back together, and so this week they got married, and I got a chance to be part of that, so I want to introduce them to you. Jan, why don't you stand up for a second since you're down here with them. This is Jan, this is Phyllis's sister. And so they've all been coming to church the last few months and uh, getting to know the body of Centerpoint and they'll be part of blessing of their lives. But it ties in. I want to tell you their story here as we begin because it ties into what I was preaching about and talking about last week. Um, and so why don't you guys go ahead and be seated for a moment while I share your story. They were here first service, so when I get done talking about them, since they're here, then they're probably going to slide out unless they say they want to hear the message again. That um, They were here first service. But let me just tell you... Uh, a little bit about them. So a few months ago, they started coming to church and asked about me performing their wedding and asked if I would do that. And I said, I'd be glad to, to help you do that. And so we met and we talked about that. They were trying to line up getting their family together to have a, a simple wedding ceremony. Um, they said, you know, we don't need to do the $1,000 things, big dresses. We just have a ceremony and get married. And so they're trying to line up their family. And there were some challenges getting all the families. So they said, we're going to put it on hold for right now while they're trying to figure that out. Well, last Sunday, I asked, well, how's that coming? They said, well, plans weren't coming together. They said, we just want to get married. Can we do something this week? Can you help us? I said, sure. I said, well, I'd be glad to do that with you. I said, do you mind, just so I don't forget, send me an email or call me or something. And so Phyllis sent me an email on Monday and said, what do you think? Can we do something on Tuesday? Looked at the schedule and said, well, it sounds like it would work. And so Monday afternoon, I was talking about that with Lane Haslock, our family pastor. I said, Lane, hey, I'm going to be doing this wedding with this couple in their 70s. And we were thinking, we're going to do it here. I mean, what room do we use without setting it all up? We can't take them like to the nursery or preschool room. That's not very appropriate for a wedding, you know, trying to figure out. And Lane said, why don't we use Magnolia Springs? Are you familiar with Magnolia, the new assisted living? It's right out our back door off a of citation. And so they have assisted living. We've been getting to know them and their um, their facilities and all their employees. And so I called Michael Berg, their executive director, and said, Michael, what do you think? How about having a wedding? They just opened two weeks ago. I said, in Magnolia Springs. He's like, you serious? I said, yeah. I said, I have a couple. They're senior couple getting married. And he said, we could use our spiritual life room. And I said, I think it'd be really good if you offered them lunch because one day they may need your place, you know. And he said, we can do that. Let's have lunch and we'll have a, a gathering. So that was Monday evening. We agreed upon that. And... Um, And so then we get into Tuesday. But before I get into Tuesday, I want you to watch a little bit of last week's sermon to remind you of some things we talked about. So catch this before we talk about Tuesday. Third application for you today, don't fear the future. Don't fear what's next. See, while most of us live in the present, some of us are fearful of the future and others of us are trapped by our past. 
We have to let go of our past and say, Lord, I give all that to you. But then as you think about your future, let go to say, I'm thankful that God is an ever-present help for trouble for today. And I'm also glad that Jehovah Shammah has covered our future. In the article called The God of My Future Problems, the author begins by defining God's prevalent grace. This literally means the grace that goes before. In every situation of life, God is already at work before I or you even get there. He is working creatively, strategically, redemptively for my good and his glory in order to accomplish his purposes. So we get so worried about the future. See, while I'm struggling with the problems of today, God is at work providing solutions for the things of tomorrow. Sometimes we need to stop and just live for today and say, God has it all in control for tomorrow. He's working in situations right now that I haven't even faced. He's preparing them for me and me for them. Do you trust him enough for that, that you don't fear the future? Or, or say it another way, while I'm living in Sunday, he's already working on Tuesday. Or while I'm living in this week, he's already working on, on next week. Are you worried about next week? I, I tell you what, I think the Lord wants you to hear are you worried about what tomorrow brings? I think the Lord wants you to hear, it's time just to chill out. It's time to relax. It's time to let go. It's time to quit trying to be control freak and be on top of everything and say, you know what? God's got it all under control because he's Jehovah Shema. So it was last Sunday we started preparing and talking about a wedding. And then Tuesday comes. Tuesday morning I get a text from Becky Haslock, Lane's wife, who's working over at Magnolia, and she said, Brian, what's the name of the couple coming over for the wedding? We'd like to know their names so when they come, we can address them by their names. And I text back the name. And then I was preparing the message and the, what words I would say to share with them during their wedding ceremony. And I had a question to ask Phyllis, so I called to ask Phyllis a question. And when I called, she was upset and she was crying. And she said, Brian, we don't know where Alan is. And I thought, he left town, Phyllis. That was my first thought. He said, forget this wedding idea. She said, my keys are gone and my car is gone and he's been gone for a few hours and this is mid-morning. She said, we're not sure where he is, so I'm not sure about a wedding and what we're going to do. And obviously upset. And so we talked for a few moments and spent some time praying and praying specifically for Alan to be safe and not to be hurt and specifically that he would come home or be found. And so we hung up the phone, and it wasn't a minute later. Becky Haslock calls me back and says, Brian, what was that gentleman's name who you were going to be doing the wedding of? I said his name is Alan Cleaver. She said he was just dropped off here at Magnolia Springs. I said, what do you mean dropped off? She said, well, some lady found him wandering in the neighborhood and picked him up and brought him here because thought maybe he was a resident from Magnolia and got away, or just at least the Magnolia could help them out. And so I jumped in a car and calling Phyllis on the way. Meet me at Magnolia. Pulled up, and there's Alan sitting out there in the front porch. Hey, preacher, what are you doing? Come to find out after talking to Phyllis some, and Alan had been traveling with some memory issues, and he's been trying to figure some of that kind of stuff out. He even had a sleep apnea test this, this last night and still wanted to be in church today. But they're just trying to figure out what's going on with all that. And we spent some time with him and talking and sharing and uh, got him back home. And he had ran out of gas in his car. And thought, i got to get somewhere, so he got out of his car and started walking, but he was on a wrong street and kind of got confused on what street, and some lady driving Master Sensation saw him and said, he doesn't seem right, and gave him a ride over to Magnolia Springs. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. You know, we didn't know on Sunday what was coming Tuesday. Couldn't have been planned out 
There's no way to orchestrate to have a wedding at Magnolia and line that all up. There's no way to orchestrate a text message. Now, what's that couple's name? There's no way to orchestrate someone coming through the neighborhood at the right time to pick him up and give him a ride to where he was somewhat familiar because he knew that's where his wedding was supposed to be at that day. Could not orchestrate the timing of the telephone call of what we're talking about, what we're praying about. The Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. He's there, he's here, and he's everywhere. And he showed up big time in the life of Phyllis and Alan this week. Isn't that awesome? You say, why do you share that? How important is that? Here, here's the thing us preachers struggle with sometimes. We spend time praying and thinking and preparing a message, and then you deliver the message, and you go home, and Sunday afternoon, us preachers, before we take the nap and after the nap, we wrestle with, man, did I communicate that clearly? Did I really come across the way I wanted to come across? Did they get it? And sometimes you feel like the message just falls off the front of the stage and doesn't reach anybody. And sometimes you're like, man, I think I had a home run today and it really didn't do anything. And last week was one of those messages where I walked away and went, man, I don't know how well that went. And then God said, well, let me show you what I'm going to do and how I'm going to show you that that message worked in some people's lives. And these names of God are not just names. We're not just studying history here. We're not just studying Old Testament names of God to say, oh, I have some new knowledge or some greater knowledge about God. These names of God, when you understand them and you really embrace them, that they're real, you will get to know God so much more specifically. You get to know Him by name, and then you call upon Him by name, and several times you can do that in a very individual way. So when you need God in certain situations, you can talk to Him more specifically. And we had some great conversations this week in that preparation and, and also then in that. And then after talking to daughter and family, they're like, yes, my dad still needs to get married. We want him to do that. Phyllis loves him to death and wants to care for him. And I said, well, I just want to make sure she's not trying to take his millions. She said, he doesn't have it, so don't worry. And so we went ahead and had a wedding this week, and now they're happily married. So give them a hand and give God a hand. If you all want to hang around, you're more than welcome. If you're like, no, we're ready to go home and get some lunch or mid-brunch, then by all means, thank you for sticking around, okay? So um, they're going to go have breakfast, so we'll let you slide out. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for spending the time and hanging around with us so we can introduce you to the congregation. Maybe next week when you see them around here, say hello, shake their hand, and introduce yourself. These names of God are so real. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, in times of need and trouble, that He brings peace. Jehovah Roy, the Lord our shepherd, that He wants to guide us and direct us and shepherd us if we allow Him. Because sometimes we can be too stubborn and won't let Him allow us to. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner, that's our protector. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Jehovah Shema, the Lord who is there. I mean, I look at the, what happened there with Phyllis and Alan this week, and I see Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. I see Jehovah Roy, the shepherd who's guiding. I see Jehovah Nisi, the protector. He, he shows up, and He's real. And he's a God that we have a personal relationship with through his son, Jesus Christ. And today I want you to understand Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you. I thank you, Lord, for showing up and just showing yourselves and, and for us to be able to see how you worked this week and Phyllis and 
Alan's life, God, and I know you're working in the life of the people in this church. And Lord, I pray that our eyes are open to see how Jehovah is working, how he's protecting or providing or bringing peace or bringing healing or just being there in the time of need. Today, Lord, we hit to a tough topic of you being our righteousness. And so, Lord, would you open our eyes and open our mind and our heart to hear from you? Take down any kind of defenses maybe that we have so that we can clearly understand and embrace, Lord, what it means, Jehovah, Sid, Canoe, the Lord, our righteousness. Father, speak in this room to each and every one of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tony Evans tells a story about a time when his father was sick and had been sick for several weeks. And Tony said he went to go see his dad in Baltimore. And he got there and he asked his dad, Dad, have you been to the doctor? And his dad said he had gone to the doctor. And so Tony's wondering, well, what did the doctor tell you? What, what's the details? And he said his dad went on to tell him the details about what the doctor said and what he diagnosed him with and what he instructed him to do. And so Tony looked at his dad and said, so dad, is that what you're going to do? And his dad looked back at him and said, no. He looked at his dad perplexed and said, what do you mean no? What, what, what are you going to do then, dad? And his dad said, I'm changing doctors. Maybe you've been down that road before. You go to the doctor, a doctor tells you one thing, you say, ah, I'll go get another opinion. I'll go to another doctor. I'm not sure I like that doctor. Because a lot of people do that with doctors. They don't like the news. They don't like to hear what the doctor has to say. So many times, they'll go find another doctor. And sometimes that will go on two and three and four and five times before they realize, you know what, all the doctors are telling me the same thing. Maybe I need to deal with the challenge. You know, a lot of people do that with churches too. A lot of people do that. They don't like what the preacher has to say. They don't like what the Bible says they have to say. And so they say, well, I think I'll just quit or I'll find another church. And in Lexington, Kentucky, where there's about 300 churches for 300,000 people, there's a lot of that that goes on. Well, that preacher challenged me a little bit too much. Or that Bible study leader really came around and really hit me between the eyes with that teaching. Or... Or that elder said this to me, and I think I'll just find another church because sometimes we have a hard time hearing the truth. Paul warned Timothy, the young preacher, at these words. He said, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. Paul was warning Timothy, listen, some people are not going to hear what you have to say. Some people are going to walk away from truth. Some people are just looking for some kind words, pat you on the back, and make you feel good. And that same struggle went on with the Israelites because that's what they did with God. They turned their back on God and started following foreign gods started following the ways of Baal. It's in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 13 and 14. It says, Among the prophets of Samaria, I saw this repulsive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led many people, uh, Israel, astray. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns, their, turns from their wickedness. They are all like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. One author said it this way, said one of the reasons Jeremiah is so depressing is that it chronicles a time when Judah, which was the southern kingdom, was wandering from God and experiencing a decline while Israel, the northern kingdom, had long since departed from God and been deported to 
by the king of Assyria. Now the remainder of God's people were about to go under the judgment of the king of Babylon because they too had chosen to turn from God. Basically, Judah and Israel, northern king and southern king, and all of them were turning their backs on God and walking away to do their own thing. And I must warn you, Jeremiah is not the book to turn to if you're looking for encouragement. And if you're dealing with any kind of issues of depression or mental challenges, you surely don't want to go there. And if you're looking for something to lift you up, I'd suggest maybe going to Psalms or something like that. Don't turn to Jeremiah because it's all about how Judah and Israel both turn their backs on God because they say there's a better way to do things. But, I, but they started to also realize that nothing ever good happens when you turn away from God, absolutely nothing. And that still stands true today. Nothing happens good in your life or in this society when you turn away from God. When you say, God, I've got it all figured out. When you say, God, your ways are, eh, they're okay, but I like my ways and my thinking. They're better ideas. When you turn, nothing good really happens. And that's what we see happening in our text in Jeremiah 23, beginning with verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Now, the shepherd is not a physical shepherd like taking care of sheep. These are the spiritual leaders of the time referred to as shepherds. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and, who, and do what is just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness, which is Jehovah Sidkenu. God declared that the spiritual leaders of his people were failing miserably at what they were called to do. They were not directing people towards God. They were directing people away from God. In verse 2, he says, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done because they were leading the people towards Baal worship, which was false idol worship. Verse 4, he says, I will raise up new leaders. In other words, I'll get new shepherds who will lead my people according to my plan. And then verses 5 and 6 points towards a better day that's coming. Verse 5 says, I'll raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. This is a reference to the coming Messiah, Jesus. He's saying, listen, Jesus is going to be raised up. That's the righteous branch. And then in verse 6 he says, in his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is is the name of which he'll be called Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. You're basically pointing to the fact that Judah and Israel, they'll get restored because of Jesus. Now to understand this name, Sidkenu, you have to understand part of the phrasing of this word, Siddik, which means to be stiff or straight. Essentially means to be right. And when you put it together as Jehovah Sid Canoe, it literally means that the Lord is our standard. 
The Lord is our standard. If you want to know what's right, then look to the Lord. If you want to do what's right, then you look to the Lord. And that's what the prophet Jeremiah was prophesying about. As Jehovah said, canoe, this standard of righteousness will come and will be the guide for us. And so I want us this morning to look at three standards to live by as we understand Jehovah said, canoe. Standard number one is there has to be a standard. There must be a standard. Every one of us at times wants standards, and other times we don't want standards. But you can't have a civilization without people being civilized. If people are act civilized, you have to have standards that dictate what that looks like. What does a civilization look like? That's why we have stoplights and speed lights and laws and police officers to make sure that people abide by the laws and keep up with the standards. Here's the problem, though. We want standards so we have a civilized civilization, but we want them to be our standards. We want them to fit us. For example, we want stoplights to control traffic of when it stops and go, but we want the light to be green when we get there. We never want to have to be the one to slow down and stop for it. Or we want speed limits and police officers to control reckless drivers, but we don't want any cops on a highway when you and I are speeding. So we want a standard, but we really don't want the standard to apply to us. That's the problem in our world today. Our world really doesn't want standards, but in one hand we say we do, and we want people to be free to be themselves. Let me be me. Stop judging me. You be you. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and I can do whatever I want, and you do whatever you want. The slogan of America is whatever works for you. That's where we're at today. Whatever works for you. If it works for you, great. may not work for me, but if that works for you, great. You do what you want to do, and I'll do what I want to do. Does that, really, does that really work? Is it really working for us today? I mean, if it really works, then what if stealing your car is whatever works for your neighbor? Hey, I need that car, and let me just go take it. What, what if draining your bank account and taking your retirement is whatever works for someone else? Or, or what if, as the scammers are more and more getting your credit card number out of your bank account somehow, as you scan it or take it off the internet, they say, you know what? I want that card. I want that number. I want the money in that account because that works for them. But it's not working so well for you, is it? Whatever works, does it really work? When Bruce Jenner made his announcement, a little over a year ago, that he's not a man, he's a woman. He said, it's about all of us accepting one another. And i got to ask the question, is it really? Are we really supposed to accept everybody and just say, hey, it's just okay? Are we supposed to love everybody? Absolutely. But does that mean we just accept them and not point them to the fact that God has a much better way, he has a better standard? See, this isn't some modern-day social experiment. It's already been tried before. In the book of Judges 21-25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and that nation fell apart. Fell apart. So we've turned away from God and turned our world into complete chaos. Complete chaos. We've forgotten Jehovah's Sid canoe, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord our standard. God is the entirely just one, the straight one, the righteous one. Righteousness is straight and, and, and narrow. He's the standard, and we learn his standard in the Word of God. Everyone understands standards of measurements. 
And standard measurements must be exact. I mean, a, a pound is 16 ounces. It's never 15 ounces or 17 ounces. If you go to the store and you walk up to the counter and say, give me a pound of that nice shaved honey-baked ham, and they give you only 13 ounces and charge you for a pound, what are you doing? You're saying you shorted me a little bit. I need three more ounces in there because there's a standard that a pound is 16 ounces. A, a foot is 12 inches. It's never 11 inches or 13 inches. Could you imagine with all the constructions of apartments and homes going around here, if one guy says, well, a foot's 11 inches, and another guy says it's 13 inches, what would our buildings look like around here? No, there's a standard that a foot is 12 inches. The National Institute of Standards and Technology is in Gaithersburg, Maryland. It's a federal agency funded by your tax dollars to make sure we're all on the same page. Here's how they describe it. The Office of Weights and Measures promotes uniformity in U.S. weights and measures laws, regulations, and standards to achieve equality between buyers and sellers in the marketplace. Why is that? It's so that 12 inches in Florida is the same 12 inches in South Dakota or California. It's so that 99 cents in Michigan is still 99 cents in California. It's so that a pound of hamburger in New Mexico is the same as a pound of hamburger in New Jersey. Wherever you go in the U.S., you can count on it being the same because of the standard. Our government got something right. We need standards. And then on one hand, we say, wait a minute, whatever works for me, works for me. Whatever works for you, works for you. Be your own person. Be your own boss. Don't try to force your ideas and philosophy. Let's all just do our own thing. It doesn't work that way. The second idea to live by standards is that God is the one who establishes the standards. In northern Kentucky, they just opened the creation, or the creation museum just opened up with the, the ark you've been hearing about. But if you go to the creation museum, when you walk through the Creation Museum, the first place they start with is, a, is an exhibit that talks about what is your starting point. And the idea is what is your starting point? Because as you go through the Creation Museum, they want to lay the foundation of what their starting point is. And some people's starting point of life or starting point of truth is whatever my mind thinks or whatever I believe or whatever philosophy I follow. And they make the point and say, listen, the standard... Or our starting point is God's Word, and so that's what this museum is all created around, and that's what they also carried in, then to go and build a big ark. And so they said, that is the standard. See, God is the one who establishes the standards. Proverbs 16, 11 says, Honest scales and balances are from the Lord. All weights in the bag are of His making. Proverbs 20, verse 10 says, Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Th those texts in Proverbs are giving us wisdom, making comparison what people understood about weights and measurements, but really the measurement there that they're comparing to is righteousness, and the standard is God's righteousness. God's measurements are standards that are exact. He requires righteousness. Jehovah Sid Canoe, the Lord, our righteousness. And because He's righteous, that's what He demands of His people. Because God cannot mix with unrighteousness. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In First Peter it says, but as He who called you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's the call of God, is that we follow His standard of 
righteousness, of holiness, of perfection. That's what God was saying to the shepherds in Jeremiah. He says, you've scattered my flock and you've driven the way. They didn't just ignore God's standards. They turned God's people completely away from them and saying, you embrace whatever you want to embrace. You do whatever you want to do. Go chase false gods. Go chase illicit sex. Go do whatever your hearts desire. And Jeremiah, the prophet, was bringing a warning saying, God's got a better plan. Adam and Eve were created righteously, exactly as they should have been created. They were created in the image of God. They were created as God planned and as they should have been created. And then the devil came along with a different plan in the form of a servant, and he just started asking the question like, God didn't really say that, did he? He started asking a question like, God really didn't mean don't go eat off of that one tree, did he? Started trying to change the standard of God. Our goal in life should be whatever we need to be according to God. Our goal should be to be what we should be according to God. We should try, strive to be exactly what God plans for us to be and not what anybody else or what this world tells us to be. See, when Jesus was here on earth, he did everything that God wanted him to do. That's what Jesus did. He looked at, what does God the Father tell me to do that's going to do? John 17, 4, he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. As Jesus is praying, he's talking to God, God, I'm glorifying you, I'm lifting up you, God. What you told me to do, that's what I'm doing. John 4, 34, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He realized my life depends upon what I do my father told me to do. Jesus knew his father, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. He knew his father would expect righteousness from him. Our task is not to conform to each other. Our assignment in life is to conform to the image of God. That's our assignment. God said, be holy because I am holy. Hebrews 12, 14, he says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 1 John 3, 10, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Are you righteous today? Are you living your life as you should be to God as He's the standard? See, righteousness is living by God's standard, is not man's. The Bible is the standard of measurement for righteousness. See, not only does God say, I'm Jehovah Sid Canoe, and this is the standard of righteousness, then He gives us His scriptures, His word to say, this is how you do this. This is how you live it out. Time and culture and, and distance and change of public opinion or ruling by a court somewhere does not affect God's standard of righteousness. And just because maybe a law has changed or been accepted as being okay does not mean it matches up to God's standard of righteousness. As a matter of fact, there's warnings in the Scriptures. In Isaiah chapter 5, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. There's a warning. Don't start changing things around. Proverbs 14, 34, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach, disgrace of it. To any people. Or Proverbs 11.10 says, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. Those scriptures are crying out to us, church. We cannot change God's standards. He's established them right here. He's put it down in His Word for us. And there is no standard of righteousness but this right here as we get to know God by being in His Word. The third idea of standard we we'll understand today is that Jesus doesn't raise the standard. He is the standard. 
doesn't raise it. He is the standard. Romans 14 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. The kingdom of God is not a matter of obeying a bunch of rules and regulations in regard to what we eat or drink. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The standard in God's kingdom is righteousness, life as it should be. And see, if we're all working from the same truth and the same standard, then that's how we as a church make a difference in this community. See, Jesus is the pattern to follow. And nobody else. Not, not Billy Graham. He's a great man. He's doing great work in God's kingdom, but that's not our pattern. Mother Teresa, she did a great work, but that's not our pattern. Oprah or your grandmother or not your preacher standing on the stage, we're not the pattern to follow. Jesus is the pattern. He's the standard. Sometimes I wonder, why does the LGBT community stand against the Word of God? This week as I was studying and preparing, I, I didn't realize this came across this. They've even created their own Bible called the Queen James Bible and copyrighted in 2012 where they've taken certain texts out so they could embrace their lifestyle. I wonder, why do secular humanists hate the Bible? Why does the ACLU hate the Bible? Why does the liquor industry and the tobacco industry and the porn industry and agnostics, why do they stand against the Word of God? Why do they hate the Bible? Why does the majority of Hollywood crowd hate the Bible? I'll tell you why. It's because according to the Word of God, which is the standard of righteousness, what they are doing is living in weakness or living against God. It's not the standard God has for us. God has a much better plan. And what I find in my life, and I believe you'll find in your life, is that when you're engaged in stuff that is not of the standard of God, what happens is we put this away and we say, this is no longer valid because I want to do my way of living. And if you find yourself pulling away from the Word of God and not having a desire to open the Word of God or read the Word of God or study the Word of God or be around the Word of God, then you should stop and say, what's involved in my life that's not measuring up to the standard? Because what happens is when this here gets into our life, then it starts to bring conviction and change and adjustment and makes us want to change the things in life. But when we stay away from it, we don't want to read it, we don't want to engage in it, Because we know that this book points us towards righteousness, points us towards the standard, points us towards Jehovah Sid Canoe. So many people stay away from God's word because they really don't want to have righteousness or the call to righteousness in your life. The gospel, the Bible, is a book of righteousness. The gospel is the way things should be and the the way we should live our lives. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Sometimes we try to do things in our own way, in our own standards, but it leads to destruction and death. James 4, 17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. The ungodly and the wicked, they don't like to hear that. And we don't like to hear that when we're embracing things that are not of God. We don't want to hear that there's ways that lead to destruction. We like to hear, well, it doesn't really matter. You're okay. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's all okay. No, God has a standard to live up to, and it's the best way to live life. So you're either saved or you're lost. You're either with Jesus or you're one heartbeat from hell. There's a choice to make in this world. 
We make a choice that we live by the standard of me, myself, and I, or we make a choice that says I live by the standard of God and God alone. That's righteousness. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. In other words, if you don't know Jesus, you're a dead man looking to fall in a grave. It's the standard. Jesus is a standard. Not your good works. Not your good thoughts, not your good deeds, or even the fact that you hang around some good people. Not the fact that maybe you're a part of a good church. You can be part of a good church and still just be just as lost if you don't know Jesus. See, if you think about it this way, you could take a wheelbarrow into Toyota, and you could walk up and down the hallways of Toyota pushing a wheelbarrow around, visiting all kinds of people, taking that wheelbarrow. But I'll tell you what, you're not going to come out the other side as an Avalon. It doesn't matter how much you hang around inside that, you're not going to become an Avalon unless you go through the process of being developed and becoming into a car, starting out with a clump of metal and all the parts that it takes to make the car. You're not going to become righteous until you intersect your life with the life of Jesus and follow His standard of righteousness. Paul said in Colossians 1.27, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's when your life and Christ's life intersected. Right is not what I say or what you say it is. Right is what God's Word says it is. Jehovah Sid Canoe, the Lord our righteous. He alone sets the standard for righteousness. So what do we do about that? What do we do as a church in a culture that is spinning more and more out of control, in a culture that says more and more, do whatever you want to do, live however you want to live, you're okay, just be happy and be, be at peace. What do we do? Well, we as a church, we're not going to lower the standard just so people can be, uncomf- so people can be comfortable on Sundays. It's not going to happen here at Centerpoint. We're going to keep the standard high and keep the standard focused on Jesus, and I encourage you to do that in your life as well. When you're interacting with friends and family members, keep the standard high. Don't lower the standard. We're going to hold up the standard in the name of Jesus and His Word. I encourage you to do that in your life. As you develop relationship with people and you care about people and you interact with people of this world that have that mindset that you do whatever you want to do, it's okay for us to hold the standard that says there's a better way to live life and it's by the standard of God Himself and introduce people to Jesus. Most people are seeking for that answer to life. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. We're aliens and strangers here that heaven is on our home, that heaven is our home. But while we're here, our assignment is to live by this book right here, the standard of righteousness that God put together. And church, there's no better time than now to do that. Our society needs Christians living by the standard of God. If you don't know who God is, and you can't possibly know what he wants you to do. Jesus promised a special blessing on the people who will be serious about Jehovah's Sid Canoe, the Lord our righteousness. In Matthew 5, 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Some translations say, for they will be happy. Some say they will be fulfilled. But the result, or the beginning part of that, to get that result is hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means for those who hunger and thirst for God. What are you hungering and thirsting over today? Hungering over making more money? Are you hungering over a a busy lifestyle? 
hungering over more degrees, better grades? What are you hungering for? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? That's Jehovah Sid Canoe, hungering and thirsting for Him. See, you'll never be satisfied until you're living right and doing right. You'll never be satisfied until you're right with God. Jehovah Sid Canoe, the Lord our righteousness. Get into the New Testament, it's explained fairly clearly how to have the blood of Jesus cover over our sins so that we can have the righteousness of God. It's pretty simple to put your belief in God and say, I believe in Him, I, I confess Him as my Savior, I repent of my way of living, that I want to change the way I live and follow His way of living, that I want to follow His standard, not my standard, to confess that He's your Savior and to be baptized by immersion. That's why we have a pool for baptistry here. Maybe today you're here and you're going, I need God to be my Jehovah Sid Canoe, my righteousness. Well, it starts with submitting your life to God and confessing Him as Savior and giving your life to Him. We'd love to help you on that journey here. You say, how do I do that? Well, there's two options. You can use your connection card and write on the back and mark the choices there or even just say, I need to talk to somebody about my walk with God. We'd love to get with you one-on-one and help you on that journey. Or even while we continue in worship, as we have communion next and we continue in worship, you could get up and go to the back of the room and just say, hey, I need help. Help me know Jehovah Sid Canoe. Help me know God as my standard of righteousness. For some in this room, it's quite possible that you uh, at one time gave your life to Christ. At one time accepted the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And maybe you've wandered away. We'd love to help you get back on that journey. Or maybe today's just a day of new commitment for you. As we receive our communion, we think about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus to think about how He forgives and how He has helped me overcome and so that I can be righteous, not because of what I've done, but because of what He's done on the cross. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for this day. God, I thank You for Jehovah Sidkenu, God, our righteousness, the standard by which we live. Father, help us today to to receive this teaching with humility. God, I ask that you search our hearts and know us today and show us, Lord, where is there unrighteousness in us? Show us, Lord, things that that we're doing that's on our own opinion, on our own strength, on on the ways of this world where we just live in in a way that says, I'll do what I want to do for me. Father, help us to put our standard up against you. Help us to look to you as, as our mirror. We look at you and and, and want to reflect you and follow you in all that we do. God, I pray specifically for people in this room that maybe need to accept you as Savior. They need to come to the cross. They need to confess Jesus as Savior. Lord, would you move in their heart and mind that if today's that day, they would have the boldness and the faith maybe step to the back of the room and say, help me. Or at least have an, enough in them to write in a connection card. I want to talk with somebody. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that we get renewed. And every week, Lord, in a communion, we're reminded that the death, the burial, and resurrection, the blood of Jesus shed on a cross wipes away all of our unrighteousness when we believe in him. It makes us pure. It makes us whole again. Father, we celebrate you and we honor you this morning as we partake in communion together. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.